I remember when DVDs first came out and were a new thing. I love that finally reached that age when I can say, oh, remember the days of VHS, and now I get to sound like an old guy. I also remember beta, too. Remember that? But like, remember when DVDs came out, and it had that new feature of the deleted scenes or you know, the extended cuts and things like that. And I remember many different movies watching those with my dad and him saying, I don't understand why they cut that out. It would have made so much more sense. And of course, you know, in the interest of time, uh, directors, producers, all the good folks involved in making movies have to do what they have to do to, you know, get it into a, you know, appropriately lengthed movie to share with people. And I feel like today, it's one of those days with the first reading and with the gospel that I kind of wish we could get the director's cut. Now, I'm not going to keep you here until like 2 o'clock this afternoon, although in some ways I'd like to. Because obviously we could go through, especially the first reading, in all kinds of detail. Because to be fair, if, if you're looking at your missile in front of you, I mean, the, the chopping up of, the, of chapter 22 of Genesis today, they cut out a lot. It's, this, is, this is what it says. Chapter 22, verses 1 to 2, verses 9a, verses 10 to 13, verses 15 to 18. And chapter 22 goes until verse 19. So there's a bunch of things that sort of get cut out. And there's so much depth there. And of course, as we meditate on the fact of, wait a second, God is asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac you know, if you go back a little bit in Genesis, I mean, Isaac is the fulfillment of a promise of Abraham being the father of the nations and all of this. Like, how can this happen? And we just sort of get like the basic nuts and bolts of the story in the lectionary today. But I think it's one of those things where, my goodness, it helps to get the director's cut. Now, I'm not going to give you the whole thing. But if we go back and read a little bit more, so verses four on just a little bit more, I'm going to read that to you right now says this. This is after God has asked uh, Abraham to go with Isaac to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son, and he takes along with him a couple of servants, a couple of young men. Here it is in verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad, Isaac, will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took in his hand the fire and the knife. Now, there's two things about that that I think are crucial, and I kind of wish that they were in and we didn't just have to do the director's cut. But when you look at that, that he says to the servants with him, we're going to go off and worship, and we're going to come back to you. Now, there's a lot going on here, and he's being asked to essentially offer to our Lord the gift that he's been given, to give Isaac back to God. But there's something in the confidence in that statement of Abraham, we're going to go off and worship, we're going to come back to you. It's as though he knows that God will take care of him. Now, I don't know right there, and this would be reading too much in the text, that Abraham could articulate exactly what's coming. But the fact of the matter is, he knows that God is good. He knows that God is the one who has given him Isaac in the first place. And even though at this moment he's being asked to place into the hands of God the gift that he's been given, 
and he's trusting and he's going forward, still there's something in the hope of that statement. We're going to go off yonder and worship and come back to you. The other thing that's beautiful in that statement is notice where he puts the wood on the shoulder of his son. I'll tell you a good sort of meditation on that if you're ever looking for a visual one is right over here for those who can see it, our window of St. Joseph standing, I know those in the back corner, it's kind of like being in a big stadium. Some of you are behind the pillar, I apologize. Before you leave today, go through the St. Joseph door and look up there. What is it? It's St. Joseph putting wood on the shoulder of his young son. Isn't that interesting? Because later on, that same son, if you look over here at station number two, some of you who can't see the window can see that, is taking the wood upon his shoulder. It's this foreshadowing of Jesus Christ already. Here is Isaac, who's not just like a little guy, right? He is the one who can carry the heavy wood. All Abraham's carrying is the fire and the knife, much lighter than the wood. Isaac is willingly going along. And there are several times here throughout that God is calling Isaac in the same words that we use for Jesus so often. He says, you know, take your son Isaac, your only one whom you love. How often do we refer to Jesus Christ as the only begotten beloved son of God? Here's this beautiful foreshadowing of Abraham trusting in the love of God, knowing that, that he has to keep going, even if... He can't articulate everything that's coming next. Now, the second place that I kind of wish we could get a little bit more of the director's cut is the gospel today. It's chapter 9 of the gospel of Mark. It starts up at verse 2. Kind of wish they would have at least gone back to verse 1, but I wasn't in charge, so there you have it. But guess what? I can read it to you now, so that's kind of nice. And I even recommend this. I mean, along with maybe later today, it's Lent, it's a good thing to do. Spend some time and go back and read Genesis 22 the whole way through, the whole story of Abraham and the binding of Isaac. And then I would even say, go back all the way to uh, chapter 8, verses 27 in the Gospel of Mark, all the way through today's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 10. And the reason I say that is just before the transfiguration, Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi with the disciples. He asks them that question, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus tells them, he charged them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus goes on to tell them he's going to have to go to Jerusalem. He's going to have to suffer under the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and be crucified and rise from the dead. And that's when, as we all know, Peter pulls him aside, says, no such thing shall ever happen to you. Jesus looks at all the other disciples and says to Peter, and look at this, he looks at everybody else, says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking as God does, but as human beings do. And then after six days, okay, so you have that whole scene of Jesus telling them about the cost of discipleship. Then, Here's an interesting phrase, 9-1, after six days, then we pick up with the gospel today. Jesus took Peter, James, and John. And I reference that in particular, after six days. Why? Because when we get to the seventh day, think about creation. What's happening on the seventh day? A resting in the presence of God. After all of the work of creation, after all of these things that have happened, on the seventh day, 
They go up the high mountain. Jesus is transfigured before them. He is giving them a foretaste of what is to come. And the same Peter who was just told, get behind me, Satan, now is speaking up again. You know, Lord, it's good that we are here. Let's build a couple of tents. Let's hold on to this. The reality of the matter is, is no, they don't get to just stay on the mountain of transfiguration, right? The crucifixion is still in the foreground. It's still going to happen. Jesus is still going to go to his death, but he's also still going to go to his resurrection. And he gives them a sign of what is going to come. God, who did not ask Isaac, or did not ask Abraham ultimately to literally sacrifice his son, has given his only beloved, his only begotten son, his beloved to us. And he points out to Peter, James, and John by his very transfiguration, by this presence, having Moses and Elijah with him, the two that went up the mountain who wanted to see the face of God, but didn't get to see it fully. Moses in the cleft of the rock, getting to see the backside of God as he passed by. Elijah hearing the, the small whispering sound because God was not in the earthquake. Remember that back over the summer when we had the earthquake and had that reading? I mean, there's all of that, and here they are with the full manifestation of the Word of God, Jesus Christ himself, showing forth his glory, and we hear the direction from the Heavenly Father. This is my beloved Son, listen to him. Now, ultimately in these readings where I think we kind of needed some more context, we need the director's cut, there's one part where I think we got the full amount and it's a smaller thing that can help us so much bringing both of these readings together, and that's in the second reading today. Now, the first phrase is very famous. It was actually the motto of my seminary. If God is for us, who can be against us? Si Deus pro nobis quis contra nos. That was our motto at the Pontifical College Josephinum. If God is for us, who can be against us? But the next line, I think, is the summary of it all. He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? My brothers and sisters in Christ, I would say, commit that line, the letter of St. Paul to the Romans 8.32. Have that in your heart. Let that be the lens through which you look at everything from day to day. He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all. How will he not also give us everything else along with him? And I think that at this particular time, here we are, we're, we're into the midst of Lent now. I mean, we're, we're almost two full weeks in, right? Since Ash Wednesday. Yes, it's difficult. I heard it put this week, and it's so good, that Lent doesn't prove to us how holy we are. It proves to us how far we have to go. I mean, how many times on a Friday in Lent does nothing sound better than McDonald's, when like the rest of the year, it doesn't sound that great. But my goodness, when we're told no, that's when we want something. You know, I mean, we are fallen. But the good news for us in our fallen state is that he did not spare his only begotten son, that Jesus Christ is with us. And even if, like Abraham, we can't articulate exactly what's coming next and what, he, what he's asking of us, we know that he's good. We know that he's given us everything. And that's where I would say that line from just at the beginning of the gospel today is so important. After six days, 
Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain. We need this day. We need this time perpetually to step aside and remember that line again and again and again. He who did not spare his son but hand him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Yes, we're asked to sacrifice things. We're asked to be Christians in a world that is increasingly wanting to cancel us, increasingly wanting to push us to the side, increasingly wanting to push him to the side. It's not easy. I don't know what's coming next. I have no idea what to expect in society. But what I do know is that he who did not spare his own son but handed him over for us all, he will, not, will he not also give us everything also along with him? We've got to step aside at least every six days, you know, on the Sabbath, on Sunday, on this day that we celebrate the resurrection, to once again be rooted in that fact. Does he ask us to give things up? Yes, he does. But ultimately, it's not so that we can be empty and sad and left to ourselves. He asks us to give things up because he wants us to be in relationship with him. He doesn't want us to get full on McDonald's and then miss out on the filet mignon that he's wanting to offer us, right? And I know that's like lowly terms of describing it, but we need that, I think. It's so easy to just get involved in our own lives and only focus on this is the difficulty, this is the hardship, everything is bad, it's all falling apart, but no, that's the glory of this season is to recognize that God has given us himself. And the beautiful thing about our faith as we come to Mass, as he gives us himself in the Eucharist, is recognizing that just like in the Transfiguration, for those who are willing to step aside, those who are willing to be quiet and to listen to him, we're reminded again and again and again that he gave us his only begotten son. What he wasn't ultimately even going to ask of Abraham He's willing to hand over himself. Of course, it's not the Heavenly Father himself sacrificing Jesus, but Jesus willingly laying down his life, putting himself into the hands of fallen sinful man, the Romans, the Jews, all of us sinful humanity. And we see what happens right over there in the 12th station of the cross. He willingly bears the wood on his shoulder. But as he told the disciples... After he lays down his life and dies on the cross, after three days, he will be raised. And it's during this season that we recognize once again that yes, he asks a lot of us. He asks us to give different things up, but ultimately why? So that we can be focused on him. And then how will he not also give us everything else along with him? That ultimately at the heart of it all, that we're focused on him. Because I can be the first one to admit, it's so easy to lose focus of him. And right now, what we need is to step aside, is to be in his presence, that after six days we come and we're here and we listen to him and know once again that if God is for us, who can be against us? He gave us his only begotten son, did not spare him, but handed him over for us all. My brothers and sisters in Christ, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.